I saw in the night visions, listen to this, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel seven thirteen through 14. There was an old Puritan uh, named Thomas Fuller who said this, I think you might find this helpful, maybe even encouraging. Thomas Fuller, Fuller, an old Puritan, said, He that falls into sin is a man. He that falls into sin is a man. He that grieves at sin is a saint. He that boasts of sin is a devil. Two centuries later, one pastor added only this. One thing more, he who forgives sin is God. Well, we want to come back to that, that idea of the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of sins. If you're not there already, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 14? Mark chapter 14. We're going to notice in just a minute uh, verses 61 and 62. Mark 14, 61 and 62. Let me just uh, speak for just a moment about the whole idea, the whole subject of authority. Authority is a God-ordained thing in this world. Authority is a God-ordained thing and, and authority in our world, human authority is shifting and changing and to say the least, it is often imperfect. Human authority in our world is often imperfect. But I trust that you know this most basic of truths, that God has authority. That all rightful authority comes from God because God has authority and God has given authority that will be executed perfectly, unlike our authority. Unlike our sinful, imperfect human authority, he has given authority to his Christ, to his Son. Every knee will bow before this one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth. Look at Mark 14, 61, and 62. And as always, don't take my word for it this morning. I, I am, like I am always do, I'm always going to make points. Points I make, let's try to write out a scripture. Mark's 14, 61. But he remained silent and made no answer, Again, the high priest asked him, 
Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Here's the first point that I want to make. I have two main headings. Jesus is the Son of Man, and he is coming. That's the first heading this morning. Very simple. Jesus is the Son of Man, and he is coming. See if we can see that from these two verses here. Zero in with me for a moment on verse 62. Let's laser focus on that verse for just a moment. And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now that's the key verse along with verse 61, but just notice the reaction that it spurs in verse 63. Notice the context here. And the high priest tore his garments and said, well, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Don't answer out loud, but as you glance at verse 63, I wonder what you would say. Is that, is that the real deal or is... Or is that contrived. In other words, when you, when you look at verse 63, when, when, you, when you look at the text, and, and again, please do that, when it says, and the high priest tore his garments and said, I submit to you, that is contrived. Well, this is terrible. That was what they did. That was the appropriate response to blasphemy. But he was making a scene. In verse 62, Jesus answers clearly. Jesus clearly, as the gospel of Mark has come to this particular point, here we are late in the gospel of Mark, Jesus uh, certainly is no longer, he's no longer really veiling anything. But he answers clearly. What question is he answering? He's answering the question there at the end of verse 61. Do you see? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Do not take that question for granted. You know the question. You need to answer it yourself. Who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Well, what ultimately matters is who do you say that he is and who does he say that he is? He says in verse 62 that he is the son of man seated at the right hand of power. There's all of this Old Testament right here in this one verse just in this one verse, it brings together so much of the Old Testament. The Old Testament speaks somewhat frequently about this idea of the clouds of heaven. Uh, and it's, in the Old Testament, it's God who rides the clouds of heaven. 
who comes on the clouds of heaven. Whitney read for us from Psalm 110, which if you don't know, is one of the most important Old Testament passages in the Bible. Why? Because of how much it's referred to in the New Testament. And once again, here in verse 62, seated at the right hand of power. Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, Jesus Christ is David's Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies footstool for your feet. And of course, the main thing that we see here in verse 62 is that Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is the Son of Man, and he is coming. This really is Christmas. As I think it was Stephen Lawson who said, uh, Jesus didn't come to make a holiday. Jesus came to lay down his life for sinners. That's the ultimate heart of Christmas. Jesus came to lay down his life for sinners. And of course, as we say almost every Christmas here at Crossway, Advent, uh, of course, means coming, and Jesus is coming. He is coming soon. Are you ready? Even as Pastor James said, even as we think about the storms that have devastated our country in my, my old home there, not my physical home, but in Kentucky. Jesus is the Son of Man and He is coming. Uh, turn over to Mark chapter 13. Mark 13. In Mark 13, verse 28, uh, Jesus gives a little parable. I don't know if you can even call it a parable. It's so short. He gives a lesson. He gives an illustration. And what does he say in Mark 13, 28? In Mark 13, 28, he says, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. And Jesus brings home his illustration. What, what are you saying, Jesus? So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Uh, Mark 13 is a great chapter. Uh, in, in one sense, it seems like he's, he's clearly talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And in one sense, we might even say, we might even say that, that, that Jesus himself uh, came in A.D. 70 and uh, because he is the Lord and he's greater than we ever imagined. And when Jerusalem, at the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, he's, he's talking about that here, but he's talking about that as a type, a small type of what is to come. You see, Jesus has all authority, including all authority to judge at the last day. He has all authority to judge at the last day. And so ultimately, he is pointing us to his second coming. Look at verse 24 in Mark 13. And think again about our main point. Jesus is the Son of Man, and he is coming. Jesus is the Son of Man. 
Mark 13, 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, notice verse 26, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Again, we see the same phrase, the same thing we saw in Mark 14, 62. Uh, just noticing this basic thing that the Son of Man, the Son of Man, Mark 16, 42, Mark 13, 26, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Jesus is the Son of Man, and he is coming. Again, learn the lesson of the fig tree. Know the word of God. Do not presume to know when he will come, as the, as the uh, comparison has been made with a woman who does not know when she will deliver when she is with child. But she does know when it's the ninth month. And even so, we do not know the day or the hour. The main thing is to be ready, to be prepared. As he says in verse 33, be on guard, be awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Jesus is the Son of Man as he is coming. But secondly, and you can, you can leave this book now and turn with me to Daniel 7. Secondly this morning, is Jesus the Son of Man spoken of in Daniel 7? Let's ask this question honestly and make sure we know the answer. Is, but is Jesus Daniel's son of man? Not asking if he's Daniel's personal Lord and Savior. Is Jesus the son of man spoken of in Daniel chapter 7? We need to think really carefully about this, and we need to pause and look at all the relevant data, and we need to just go ahead and say, yes. Yes, he is. Look at verse 13. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Now, you know that uh, the book of Daniel has been our study. And this is the, the high point, at, at least up until this point so far. This is the high point in the book of Daniel. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Is Jesus this man? I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There, that's what we've been looking at, right? And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. That should remind us of Philippians chapter 2. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, 
and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Is Jesus the Son of Man that we read about here in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, particularly in verse 13? And the, and the clear answer, the clear answer is yes. We have to keep in mind just the most basic fact that this is before Jesus, right? Not before the Son of God who has existed from all, but it is before Jesus of Nazareth. This is well before Jesus. But this is Jesus. How can we answer yes so quickly? Well, because it would be to deny the whole Bible to say that this is not Jesus. It would be to deny so much of the New Testament. Supremely, it would be to deny Jesus himself. It's the same logic that we use to say, why do we have the audacity to believe that the Bible is the word of God? To use the word, the inerrant word of God without any error. How can we really stake our claim that the Bible, that the scriptures, the, the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament are in fact the word of God? Well, primarily, primarily we, we receive the Bible as the word of God, not through different apologetic methods and not through going back to the original papyri and these types of things. Primarily, if you're a Christian, the reason you receive the Bible as the word of God is because Jesus tells you to do so. That's why. Because Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and because he clearly, in the Word of God, says the whole Word of God is the Word of God, receive it and obey it. And the same logic applies here. It would be to deny the Lord Jesus Christ and to deny the Bible, because this much is clear. This much is clear. The witness of the Bible is is that this is about Jesus. Look at Daniel 7, verse 9. Daniel 7, 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, Daniel seven eleven. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. You know John chapter 1, verse 1? The great verse at Christmas. We've talked about how it's a verse that the Jehovah's Witnesses mess up. In the beginning was the Word. Listen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there's a similar thing going on here in Daniel chapter 7. This Son of Man 
comes to the Ancient of Days, and yet, and, and, and the Ancient of Days is, is God, and yet the Son of Man is God. He's presented to the Ancient of Days, and, and in a sense, He is the Ancient of Days. What is the Son of Man, without getting into it uh, too, too in-depth, without going too deep about this Son of Man What is it? Well, we've said clearly the main thing that needs to be said, which is that it was Jesus' own, it was his favorite way of speaking about himself, certainly in the Gospel of Mark. It was Jesus' preferred way of referring to himself. And when you think of the Son of Man, you might be excused for thinking it refers primarily to his humanity. Actually, it doesn't. Son of man, as it's been pointed out, is a well-known phrase in the Old Testament that means human being. It means human being. In the book of Ezekiel, it just means a man. It means a human being. However, this figure, this figure in Daniel chapter 7 is not a human being. But notice what it says is like a human being. Did you see that in verse 13? And in the Old Testament, riding on clouds indicates divinity. The description of this figure left no doubt in the minds of the New Testament authors that this refers to Jesus Christ. The description of this figure left no doubt in the minds of the New Testament authors that this refers to Jesus Christ. He is a son of man. He is a human being. He is a human being, but it says he's like a son of man. He is no mere man. No, he's not a mere man. He is the God-man. He is the God-man. And also notice what it says. We might also think, just looking at verse 13, even if we've never considered it, when it's talking about the son of man here, we might think, well, this is referring to his second coming. And I said already, that is what Christmas is about, actually. We also remember the second coming of Jesus. But what is it about in verse 13? Look at verse 13. What's it speaking of? Is this a reference to the second coming of Jesus? Or is this a reference like Acts chapter 1? Follow me here. Like Acts chapter 1. This isn't the only time when we see clouds. He's taken up after his death and his resurrection. He's taken up in clouds. And then I think it's safe to say this is what happens after he ascends. You see, it doesn't say that he comes from the Ancient of Days. Look at this with me. Just the text itself is glorious. It doesn't say he comes from the Ancient of Days. This is not necessarily talking about his second coming. It says what? He came to the Ancient of Days. Which again is to say that for us and for our salvation... For you and for your sins, Jesus, the Son of God, came and he lived a perfect life and he died as our substitute bearing the wrath of God and he was buried and he rose again from the dead for you and for your sins. If you will repent, if you will by faith come to him. Who was it? Anselm who said, why did God become man? Why did God become man? Answer, for us and for our salvation. For us and for our salvation. 
And a part of that salvation is right here. Listen, prophesied so long ago, prophecy and fulfillment prophesied so long ago, what was prophesied? It was prophesied that after he rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven, that the Lord God, the ancient of days, would give him authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ has real authority right now. Jesus the Christ is the Son of Man. He is coming. That's point number one. Jesus is the Son of Man who is coming. He is the Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7. And we see so beautifully that he came to the Ancient of Days. He was presented before him. And verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And so the focus this morning turns out to be not so much the Son of Man, as important as that is. But the real focus is that as the Son of Man, Jesus has all authority. Jesus has authority over your life. You don't have to turn there at all. Mark chapter 2. Don't even need to turn there. Mark 2.10. Mark 2.10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Well, there it is again, of course. We've noticed it in... Mark 14:62, Mark 13:26, Daniel 7:13 and and then we see it here again in Mark 2:10, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I am not sure that we are convinced of the greatness of the forgiveness of sins. I am sure that we may very well take for granted the greatness of the forgiveness of sins. If you had the choice, if you had the choice to live a life of a life full of good health, comfort, and ease, not much pain, and not have the forgiveness of sins, would you make that choice? If you had the choice to knowingly endure a life of ill health, even to such a degree that led to persistent pain, persistent sorrow, discomfort. I mean, really, just a, just a troubled life with, with very little breaks at all. And to have the forgiveness of sins, would you choose that? Well, I'm not trying to pose some weird question. You see, the Lord knows us even better than we know ourselves. The Lord knows your answer. The Lord knows your answer to that question this morning. The Lord knows even, even when we might be dishonest, perhaps, he knows where our allegiances lie. He knows, the Lord knows where your allegiances lie this morning. 
You see, the interesting thing is that it all comes down to God. Do you love God? Do you want God? It all comes down to Christ because listen to me. If you have Christ, then ultimately one day you will have both. You will have both the forgiveness of sins and you will have a resurrected body. You see, the Christian hope is the resurrection of the body. It's the resurrection of all things. And so if you have Christ, then you get both. Even if you live a life in this world of suffering, if you have Christ, one day you're free from that, including physically in your body. And you have the forgiveness of sins then at judgment day and now and peace now. Listen to me. Listen, you have peace now through the forgiveness of sins, not because your main aim is I want forgiveness or I want help. But you want Christ. As it has been said, God is the gospel. Hear me this morning. God is, do you want God? Do you know God? Do you love God? And if you don't have Christ, then you get neither. You do not get the forgiveness of sins. You may, you may not knowing Christ No, let me say that again, rejecting Christ. You may have a good, nice life here, but any suffering that you have here, listen to me, will pale in comparison to the eternal suffering in hell under the wrath of God. It will pale in comparison. And it's all because, not because you didn't want the forgiveness of sins, or you didn't want suffering in your life, it's because you didn't want Christ. And if you say, let me just be clear, if you say, well, I'm on the fence, not making a decision is a decision. Not receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, not receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior is making a decision. In staying on the fence, you are rejecting Christ. And so you will have neither forgiveness nor an eternally resurrected body free. No, you you will have a body, a new body fit for suffering eternally in hell. Do you ever tremble at the thought? Do you see? It's all based on Christ. Are you united to Christ or not? I am not sure that we are convinced of the greatness of the forgiveness of sins. And Mark 2.10 says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You see, there's good news this morning. There's good news. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. And that means since he has all authority in heaven and on earth, he has authority to forgive sins on earth. Like today. The Christian gospel really is good news because Jesus Christ really did die in human history. He really did bear the wrath of God in the place of his elect people. And your question this morning is not whether I'm elect or not, which is all over Mark 13, by the way. Your question is, have I bowed the knee to King Jesus, who is the son of man, who has already been given all authority, who rules now and will one day with his authority given him by the father will judge the world. He will judge the world. Let me also be clear that in that question I gave you, not only does the Lord know 
know us better than ourselves, but let's not be too spiritual. Of course, we would all, if anybody was in their right mind, then the answer to the questions I posed would be, well, I would like health and forgiveness of sins. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I would like the forgiveness of sins and I would like health. But it is ultimately through Jesus Christ. It is through Christ do we treasure Christ. It's all about God. God is the gospel. Mark 2 verse 1 says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Mark 2, 2, it's up on the screen. Verse 3, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Please get this. This is just great. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? By the way, this is one example of Jesus giving a man both. You see, he forgives his sin. And he heals his body. For the believer, both are ultimately purchased in the cross of Christ. And Jesus tells the believer, you will have trouble in this life. Follow Jesus involves following Jesus, which often involves suffering. Don't be hoodwinked by it. And then in verse 10, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has a but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I mean, that's pregnant right there, to forgive sins. The Son of Man, authority on earth to forgive. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose. Immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You've you've listened well. And we've said that Jesus is the Son of Man, and he is coming. Mark 14, 62. Cross-reference, Mark 13, 24 through 27. Jesus is the Son of Man, and he is coming. We've asked the question, secondly, is Jesus... Daniel's son of man. Is he the son of man spoken of in Daniel 7? And it is so cool. Absolutely he is. And it's not speaking about his second coming as much as it is his coronation. His coronation. His enthronement. The ancient of days gives him all authority. We thought, we thought then in light of those two things about Jesus as the son of man who forgives sin. Has he forgiven you of your sin? Have you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? I close with this, and again, I appreciate your patience and listening. This I close. Don't answer out loud. If you know what the Great Commission is, what is the main command in the Great Commission? 
And if you don't know what the Great Commission is, it's at the end of Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Just think about that very quickly as we close. What would be the main command of the Great Commission? Well, it's not go. It's not baptize. It's not teach. It's make disciples. The main imperative Listen, church, listen to me. The main imperative, the main command of the, what we call the Great Commission is make disciples. And very important attached to that is the going and the baptizing and the teaching. But as central as that is, making disciples, it's impossible and in one sense meaningless without the verse that comes before. The Great Commission is the Great Commission because of the great Son of Man. Because Jesus is the Son of Man. And because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go therefore, hear the words of the Lord Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth. Boy, that's prideful, right? That's audacious. No, that's the Son of God. All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Therefore, go and make disciples. He has all authority. His authority is a good authority, and he will come to judge. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. Let us not linger. Let us not waffle between two paths. But this Christmas, may we glory in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. I will glory in my Redeemer, as the song says. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Help us to see what a central, amazing gift that that is. Thank you right now, Lord. We as Crossway Church, we thank you right now for health or sickness. Right now, whatever we're going through, we thank you for the Christian hope of the resurrection and of new bodies. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our great forerunner, our older brother. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that Jesus is coming and at his coming we will be changed We thank you that he is the son of man. We thank you that he has all authority. Would you lead us? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.